Well, this past week, many people commemorated a pretty significant occasion. Some of you yourselves, you may have celebrated it. Some of you may have just had a, a quick thought about it. Some of you may have had no clue and you just missed out. Anyone know what January 8th happened? How about if I say January 8th, 1935? No? Well, because it seems like we all missed out, let me fill you in a little bit. It is the birth date of none other than Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll. Come on, you didn't commemorate that? Don't be cruel. Come on. Now, (laughs) unfortunately, Elvis met his untimely demise in August of 1977. Many of you maybe remember this. You may have even mourned his death. And I can tell you that I personally cried like a baby. Well, I was two, so I cried like a baby at that time. Yeah, get ready. It's going to be one of those mornings, apparently. (laughs) It was the passing of a major cultural icon. Or was it? You see, since then, there have been numerous sightings of the king around the world. Right? Shortly after his death, a man who looked like the king purchased a one-way ticket from Memphis to Buenos Aires under the name John Burroughs which was one of Elvis's aliases. I mean, come on, it had to be him, right? Or in 1990, some people believe that Elvis made a cameo appearance in the movie Home Alone. (laughs) They see, as she's at the, the airline ticket desk, she's like, can you do anything for me? Behind him is this bearded man that could be Elvis. Well, it hasn't been proved that way. Or how about in 2016... Just a couple years ago, people are still looking for him. They took a video of a groundskeeper at Graceland in a baseball hat and an Elvis Week t-shirt. And they said, that was Elvis. And the guy said, no, I'm not Elvis, and I'm not 82 years old. So, even today, there are some who claim that he has taken on the identity of a pastor in Arkansas. So, if you need to go flock to Elvis, you might be able to find him down in Arkansas. For some reason, people continue to look all over for Elvis, even though he is presumed to be dead, but people are still looking. They're still going after any bit of information to find him. And isn't it interesting that we can hear stories like this and our curiosity gets piqued? Well, maybe it's true. Maybe he's really alive. We even do this with some of our current celebrities and pop icons. We look around and we say, oh, I want to know what they're up to or, or what have they been doing lately? And we follow them on Instagram or social media or, or in the news. We used to be, Amy and I, we used to watch entertainment shows frequently enough where we're like, oh, that's interesting. That's kind of cool. Hey, did you hear about this? But people would get obsessed in some ways and they would go chasing after, well, they're going to be here or they're going to be there. And then they find, well, that was false news. It wasn't anything like that. And so some will chase after them just to catch a glimpse, even if it won't happen. Now, I say all this because I think it can serve as at least a loose analogy for part of our text today. So take your Bibles and head over to Luke chapter 17. Again, we're continuing in our Luke series. If you came today and you do need a Bible, 
There should be one in uh, underneath the chairs in front of you, and you can use it, or you can uh, take it home with you. You can do with it as you need. So Luke 17, and we're going to start in verse 20. We're going to start kind of the last half of the chapter uh, to kind of talk about this topic that Jesus addresses. So in Luke 17, verse 20, we read, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here he is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And so in this passage, we begin with the Pharisees asking a question because they wanted to know, when's the kingdom coming? We've been waiting for this. They knew the scripture which prophesied that his kingdom would come and deliver Israel from its misery and oppression. And if you're going through misery and oppression, you just want to get out of it, right? We want to know, Lord, when is your kingdom coming? And since Jesus claimed he was the Messiah, then surely he would know when it was going to come. And if he truly was the Messiah, then he would also be the one to cause his kingdom to take over. But Jesus sees what they're asking, and he says, in a sense, there's more to what you're asking, and I really need to kind of set the record straight. And he saw that they didn't quite grasp the proper view of God's kingdom. So he tries to teach them real quickly about the reality of the kingdom. He says that they would not be able to observe the arrival of God's kingdom via supernatural signs or a specific event. Instead, they were going to have to see that the kingdom was already there. A person was not going to be able to point to some specific point or some event or some some place that the kingdom would be, such as in Jerusalem here or on a mountain over there. Instead, Jesus was trying to tell them that God's kingdom has now come and was among them simply because he, Jesus, was among them. They were trying to find a specific thing to point to, and he's saying, you know what, don't just go look over there where people say. Don't look over there. It's, the kingdom is already here. 
in, in one form. With Jesus being on earth and preaching to the people, he was healing the sick, he was delivering those who were oppressed by demons and such, that the kingdom of God had now come. It just looked different than the Pharisees had expected. And so because of that, Jesus was trying to get them to see and understand their error in thinking, that the kingdom was really different than what you are planning and expecting. And so after this brief discussion with the Pharisees, he uses the Pharisees' question as a teachable moment for his own disciples. Because we really only get two verses of his conversation with the Pharisees, and then he turns to his disciples and says, all right, here's kind of more of the story, because I need you as my followers to really get this. And he had just told the Pharisees that the kingdom of God had arrived. And he had said, you know, Hey, Pharisees, don't be looking over here. Don't be looking over here. The kingdom is here. It's right here in front of your face. And he's turning out to the disciples, and he says, you know what? You're going to hear a lot of these kinds of stories. You know, it's an Elvis sighting. It's, it's a Jesus sighting. Look over here. That's where he is. Or, or look over there. I think I just saw him, or I'm hearing these things that are going on. Jesus is come. And he's saying, no, that's not how it's going to work. They've been walking with Jesus for a while, and they've seen Jesus preaching, healing, casting out demons, etc. And on one level, these disciples would understand, yes, the kingdom of God has come. But there was so much more, and Jesus wants them to understand this because it is going to prove really fruitful for their lives as they go on. And he gives them some guidance regarding how they need to approach this interim time between the kingdom of God being here right now and the kingdom of God as it comes fully, and the full realization of the kingdom comes to be. And it's going to be this time after he leaves them, and then he comes back, right? And we're all now living in that day and age where we're looking and we're waiting for him to return. And he begins by addressing the reality that we're going to long for his return. Each of his disciples were going to be looking for the days of the Son of Man, it says, and they're not going to see it. And we know, yes, none of them saw that in, in, in its full reality. And I think we all today are going to have days where we just want Jesus to be back. Am I right? Like some days we just say, Lord, come today, please. Maybe for students, maybe we're like, I've got a big exam. Can you come today? I don't want to take it. Some of us have projects at work. And we're like, Lord, can you come? I don't want to have to do this. Right? Let's just be real. Or we've got health issues or family issues or whatever, and we're just like, it's kind of like that Calgon. Calgon, take me away. Lord Jesus, come take me away. Right? And as believers, there is this desire for the king to return. And again, I don't mean Elvis. I mean the real king. Okay? Let's just be clear. So we can get so tired of these struggles that we face and the crazy world that we live in. So Jesus acknowledges this. And he, he says, you're going to long for it. Number one, that's okay. I, I hope that you're waiting for me to come back. I hope that you're expecting, that you're living in that day in and day out, saying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And then he warns or guides them on the proper approach to this desire. In verse 23, he tells his disciples, and they will say to you, look there or look here, but do not go out or follow them. Sometimes that desire could be so strong that we could be misled or we could be in this state of we just want to believe that he's there, that he's come back, that he's here on earth again. And maybe I just have to go travel there. 
You know, we might hear the story, hey, did you hear? There's a great thing happening over in New York City. And I think Jesus is there. I think he's like walking around and he's teaching people. And it could just be, you know, some weirdo in New York City. Um, it could be that, you know, here, hey, uh, there's some guy down at Coldock Park. And he's, he's walking around and he's, he's like bringing fish out. You know, he doesn't have any equipment and they're just lifting out. And he's like dividing it up and giving it to people. People might, you know, people are going to come up with these outlandish stories sometimes. And Jesus is saying, don't go chasing after those things. Because that is not true. That is not real. And we could hear of a supposed Jesus sighting. And we, you know, just like those Elvis sightings, we can begin to chase after a figment which we may hope to be true. And it can be easy to do if we're not grounded in his word. If we don't know that his word says that no man knows the time or the day when he will return. We can be misled. So we have to be grounded in the word as well. And it can be so easy to do. Okay, so for those of you who are my age, older, maybe slightly younger, how many of you remember in 1988, there was a booklet or a pamphlet that came out, 88 Reasons Why the Lord is Going to Return in 1988. Right? And then it didn't happen. And then... 89 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1989. And so back then, I was a 13-year-old teenage boy. And for myself, I think because of my upbringing, I, I questioned it even then, and I said, that doesn't make sense. How can anyone know? You know, the Bible says that no man knows the time or the day. And the author was probably very well-intentioned, you know, a lot of times it's fun to study end times and, and things like that. And we look around and we're trying to figure things out. But Jesus is saying, don't go after those things. Don't chase after those things. Because guess what? During the 88 and the 89 season, some people sold their property. Some people quit their jobs because they were deceived. They fell prey to that. And if you were one of those, I apologize. There's full grace, though. Thank you for still being here and loving the Lord. And instead of chasing after false ideas, Jesus lays out a few truths for us to bear in mind related to his second coming. First of all, he doesn't want us to be deceived. So the first principle is this. When he returns, everyone is going to know about it at the same time. Just like the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, that's how it's going to be. It is going to be worldwide, all at the same time, no one is going to need this to spread the message of his return because we're all going to see and know it for ourselves. We're not going to need to, oh, let me catch the latest news. No, it's going to happen. Everyone's going to know, and it's going to be spectacular. So if someone says that the Messiah has come, don't go running after it because we'll know when Jesus has returned. A second truth that Jesus relates to us is this. It will be sudden, and we will not have any warning. As he teaches his disciples, he gives them two Old Testament examples to kind of show this, to demonstrate this, to understand the suddenness of his return. He speaks about the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And in both cases, he points out life was normal. It was ordinary. People were going about their daily lives. They were buying and selling. They were building and planting. They were eating and drinking. They were marrying. They were being given in marriage. All of these things were happening as 
what was going on in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Sounds a little bit like today, right? We have all of these types of things still going on. We still have to pay the bills. We still have to take care of our kids. We still get married and, you know, continue on in marriage. All of those things are normal. And people were enjoying those things. They were doing the grueling things as well. And they just had a normal day, just a routine day. And then in an instant, destruction came. Noah set foot in the ark, and the flood came, wiped out everyone else. Lot left the city at the urging of the angels, and shortly after they were out of the city, fire and burning sulfur came down from heaven and smoked the city. It was gone with almost no warning. Noah knew a little bit. Lot knew just a little bit just before it all happened. But there was basically no warning. We have the benefit to know that it's coming. We don't know when. Noah and Lot didn't know when exactly, but they knew it was coming. And so that's the same for us. And because his return will be sudden, and it will be without warning, Jesus gives us a final truth that relates to his second coming, and it's this. Live each day ready for his return. This is more the instructive part of Jesus saying He says, okay, when it happens, everyone's going to know. It's going to be sudden and without warning. And because of that, you need to live each day ready for his coming. Be ready each and every day. Live as if Jesus were returning today. Don't just say, I got a few years, I can worry about it then. Live each day. The fullness of the kingdom is coming, so live like it's already here. In the light of the second truth that is coming would be sudden and without warning, we are not going to have time to make a decision when it happens. It's going to be, boom, it's done. The ramifications are there. Okay? So we must live with our heart and life set on him, expecting that he could return any moment. That's the encouragement. That's the, the joy that we can have as believers. And the New Living Translation translates Jesus' words in verse 33 this way. And I think this can be something that all of us struggle with from time to time. But in the New Living, it says, If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. He encourages us not to cling to our life, our physical, worldly, fleshly life, because it is going to pass away and be gone. All the things that we see and hear and and know right now, kind of in that physical realm, it's going to be gone. The big house, the boat, the, the cabin on the lake, you know, the, the bank account, all of it's going to be gone. It's just going to be our heart and the Lord, our soul and the Lord. So instead, we should let go of the things of this life and take on the life that Jesus offers. So don't cling to your life that you have here because that's going to just be gone and pass away. If you let your life go and take on his life, you're going to gain so much. And that's what Jesus is really trying to tell us. He says, begin to embrace his way of living, the attitudes and heart that he has modeled for us. And so with Jesus' teaching here, I believe he's trying to show us that living in the kingdom does not mean that we go off in search of signs of his return. Rather, we set our hearts and our minds on him, and we live life each day ready for his return. Let me say that again. Living in the kingdom does not mean 
that we go off by ourselves or in search of signs of his return. Rather, we set our hearts and our minds on him and we live life each and every day ready for his return. So how do we do that? How can we live life ready for his return? How should we approach life in the kingdom now while waiting for Jesus to come back and really fully realize the kingdom of God? So to find some overarching principles, let's go back to the beginning of chapter 17 because I think Jesus lays out some great principles, some great kind of overarching concepts for us to just begin to cultivate in our hearts and lives. And it's not so much a list of to do or to don't, but more like attitudes that we should cultivate in our heart. So look at verses 1 and 2. It says, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the thing, or woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. In essence, Jesus is saying, don't cause other believers to stumble. Or let me say it in maybe a positive way. Encourage each other to live godly lives. This would be one of the first principles I think he's telling us here. Encourage each other to live godly lives. Temptations to sin are all around us. We noted it before as as Pastor Mark was talking about this time of prayer and fasting. We can go to our mobile devices, we can go to TV, and there are plenty of things that can divert our attention away from the Lord. Some things can actually cause us to stumble in sin. And oftentimes, we just take a few steps wherever we go, and we can find temptation. Like, it seeks us out. We don't have to go very far looking. And we have so many things and people in our lives that may work to tear us down day after day. But Jesus says, don't be one of those people. Believers should not act like that. And at Portview, we are people who care, right? We're people who care. And so that should be coming out in the way that we encourage each other. Like, we can come to each other and encourage and say, hey, this is really good in in you. I see this in you. As part of that heart attitude of caring, we should be encouraging each other to live godly lives. We should be gathering around each other in difficult times and encouraging each other. We should show each other that we care for them and love them. And our encouragement should be more than, hey, I really like your new shoes. Or, did you get your hair cut? That's totally you. You know, Jesus is calling us to be encouraging each other, to live godly lives, to, to help each other to grow and mature in Christ.